If you want something done right, shield. By Bob Harris, Bob Hall, Keith Pollard, and Kim DeMolder, beginning in May, monthly from Marvel. Listener to our podcast, Jeff and Rick present Unpacking the Power of Power Pack. Where we journey through each issue of the most underrated Marvel series of the 80s while drinking beer. Analyzing awesome and amazing adolescent adventures and absorbing alcohol. I am Jeff. And I am Rick. Random banter, the final frontier. Random banter time, my friend! What's going on? Tell me stuff. These are the continuing tales of the Starship Friday. That's right. Extended mission is to go to Earth and find children, giving them powers and stuff. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. Do you have any idea why I might have picked that for uh, this issue? Uh, Yes, I do. Uh, Because this book came out in about let's see here uh yeah 1989 1989 so that would be about the nine year anniversary of star trek the motion picture so oh exactly yeah that's uh you know that's how i live my life <laughs> i'm uh I probably uh, completely messed up that date, but it's for, somewhere in there. <laughs> yeah, um, um, you know, you know me. First motion picture, full life, full life. I, got full the, life. I just did the hand gesture and everything. Actually, here uh, for those watching lower deck, for life, for life, yeah, for life. <laughs> lower decks, for life. Uh, <laughs> there we go. Audio, uh, visual cues on an audio medium. We are the best around. Nothing's ever going to keep us down. <laughs> um, yes, uh, you are doing this because it is about. Space, the final yes. frontier. Yes, it is, and they're going on a big old trek. There's another reason too. There's another reason too. Uh, it's because Friday's coming back. Spaceship Friday's Friday, coming yep, back. Yes, mm-hmm. Bryce. Little spoilers. Uh-huh. Yep, There's yep. also Doomsday Machine. There is featured also a Doomsday Machine from yep. the original series. So yep. yeah, that, that that's true. That is true. That is true. It is all about all of that, and uh, we got a lot to get through. So I mean, I, yep. really quickly. I mean. Stuff that's going on in my life, living the dream, putting up more shelves in my basement here, getting more artwork, loving it. I have my entire room. It is geeked out to the max. I'm bringing as many toys in here and displaying them everywhere I can. It's very nice. That's very cool. And it's neat that I like it when you post a photo showing all the fun stuff that you're putting up. I think you can see in the corner there, you can see I got the, the different shelves over there. Yeah. I actually got from one of our fans who lives in town here. We did a trade. I had an old tricycle that my daughter used. He has a bunch of Heroclix because he plays Heroclix. And so he gave me a tons of them and I have them displayed them. I think I he was see like, them up there. Pretty cool. And take them out. So, yes, it's kind of <laughs> nice. It's kind of nice. But I like it though because. There we go. I, I like to display that kind of stuff. It's kind of cool. So, what about no, you? That's really neat. What about you, man? Uh, my downward spiral of everything's horrible continues. Uh, I don't think I mentioned it last time. I had a root canal. That's new. Mm. That's a first. So that's a hoot. Plus side, a friend of mine actually has started listening to the show. So hey, Wooby, glad you joined up. Downside being that a friend of mine also has been diagnosed diagnosed with Crohn's disease and uh, colon cancer. So uh, so, but pushing joy towards him and best hopes for recovery and everything. So you can do it, friend. You can do it. Beat everything. Shout out to him, too. Good thoughts from us. Good thoughts from all of our fans. I am sorry to hear that, my friend. Yep. 
But uh, I believe in him. He's going to pull through and be great. So good. good. That's that's the hope right there. I'd like to lead off with a more happy note, but new listener, a friend of mine is listening we finally, do have a new which listener. is great, and he's been commenting and stuff. He's, I'm loving it. <laughs> loving it. It's so, kind of like McDonald's. Bonus. We're loving it. We're loving yeah. Wobie. We're loving Wobie. Do, 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 do. A listener. <laughs> And on that note, Jeff, can you please give us a two-sentence replay of last episode? I'm sorry, last issue, because last episode we went way back in time to that Power Pack PSA from 1986. So now it's time to kind of remind ourselves and our listeners where the kids are at. What are they doing? What's happening? And why are they going into space? A dream vacation becomes a nightmare when Power Pack discovers that people have been dumping toxic waste into the ocean and that it is killing every bit of sea life it encounters, including a baby dolphin that Franklin had psychically latched onto while he was sleeping. Surviving the worst night's sleep ever, they rush to the ocean so that the girls can fight a ship's worth of polluters while Alex takes it onto himself to once again misuse his destroyer powers to dangerously overcharge himself while he disintegrates a sea valley's floor worth of deadly waste. Now that the, they also create an ecological disaster on land to stop an ecological disaster at sea, two-sentence replay is over, why don't you give me a beer and tell us what our power pack pick is? My pleasure, my friend. Speaking of space, I'd like you to reach into the vacuum of space somewhere nearby you and grab that magical brown paper bag with a bottle in it and uh, open that on up. You know, there's an old expression about space, and that's, no one can hear you open a beer in space. <laughs> you could hear me open up the bag, though. That took forever. <laughs> nice. What do we have? Ooh, this is a big old bomber. It's a 22 fluid ounce. Negative space, dark, pale, Ale, truly gluten-free. You know, has the word see things differently, and it's done by Moon Shrimp Brewing, and upside down in Dot Matrix, it says science, <laughs> which is nice, because we like science here. We do yeah, like science. This is we do like science. Dedicated oat and gluten-free facility, Portland, Oregon. So, yeah, and it looks like it's just uh, somebody took a Hubble telescope photo and punched a hole in it and put negative space in the middle so that just looks really nice that's just it's pleasant it's just a pleasing space photo of stars and nebulas and galaxies and everything and it's just it's just it's nice why would i choose something called negative space though because you my nancy like friend are very negative <laughs> and what ah. else what else do we have in this issue we have space and it's fair to say there's a lot of negativity in it. <laughs> there is. It, there's a little bit of dark. There's some pale because the horses are pretty pale. There is negative space. There's uh, removing of space. There's stars. There's science. There's all sorts of things. Even the kids get to see things differently. So they had their uh, expectations were reversed. It was just like we went into a thing thinking this and then it becomes something else. So, yes, that is an excellent choice for a beer. I thought so. I, I hope we like it. It is gluten-free. That should be very interesting. But this is a 6% ABV, dark-colored, light-tasting pale ale, perfect for a long evening of fun. Well, that's us. We ain't nothing but fun. Solid hop finishing flavor and a light body with some dark fruit notes on top. And that's a 40 IBU that's in there. Yeah, it is that nice, uh, very dark amber kind of color it's got a nice hue to it yeah this has like 
almost no bubbles in it. I did a, a rough pour mm-hmm. and have zero head on that. It is a very nice amber coloration of that. It looks great. It smells like a cider. Yeah, I can get there. So for me, this really just has the nose of a of a of a cider. It's just yeah. It smells like an apple cider, you know, beverage, and that's really nice. I love ciders. Yeah, uh, I, I taste can wise. Read that. Yeah, tra- taste. I think my taste buds are trapped on the apple notes. It almost tastes like an apple cider. It tastes like a almost like an imperial apple cider, if that's a thing that exists. What I'm kind of getting, my first taste, it reminded me of. Bear with me, champagne or the sparkling cider, maybe. Maybe the sparkling okay. cider. That's kind of what I got hit with. But as soon as you said the smell is the is the cider, yeah, I'm getting there too. It's got some interesting chemical taste in there too. Mm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I taste that. It's almost like a hopped cider to me. Yeah. I'm sorry, I'm just stuck on the apple notes on no, no, this. No, 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 I'm, I'm with you. They're, they're there. They're, it's very interesting. It's It's got some sharp, pungent taste that then get hit with a little bit of sour notes that remind you of the apples. And then in the background, hanging out, is this little bit of a chemical aftertaste. I think the thing I don't like the most about it is that chemical aftertaste. Yeah, I could totally see that. That's what's kind of sticking on the back of my tongue at the moment. I don't want to say it's medicinal. No, it's not that. So while it's not medicinal, there is a chemically flavor, like you're saying. Yeah. And I fully agree to that. There really is. And that's a little off-put. Yeah, I'm having a hard time actually getting to the pale ale bit because uh, you're right. I just keep on tripping over the cider. That that's yeah. the best description of this supposedly pale ale. The story time on it's just the you know government warning, blah blah blah. So there's nothing on here saying even what its flavor profile is kind of supposed to be. So well, but this is a negative space by Moon Shrimp Brewing. So we'll see what this is like at the end of our show. But for now, we actually have to have a show. And I think the only way we possibly can do that is if you give us the opening credits. Power Pack, issue number 50, November 1989, Friday's Children. Credits, writer, John Bogdanov. Penciler, Todd Smith. Inkers, Mike Manley and Al Williamson. Letterers, Joe Rosen and Jade Mode. Colors, Glennis Oliver. Editor, Carl Potts. Techno editor, Boss Guy, Tom DeFalco. Featuring Power Pack, Alex Power, a.k.a. Destroyer. Yellow costume, fireballs. Julie Power, aka Molecula. Blue costume, clouds. Jack Power, aka Counterweight. White costumes, gravity. Katie Power, aka Starstreak. Pink costume, flight. Franklin Richards, aka Tattletale. Red costume, dreams. Kofi, aka Kofi. White chameleon costume, teleportation. The kids are flying back home after dumping radioactive junk on a billionaire's lawn in the middle of the night. Yeah, I know, don't get me started on that one. But needless to say, they are tired. So they are more than ready to go home and sleep the sleep of the just and or the wicked. It is at this point that Katie sees a random falling star, and Julie agrees with her that they should go and check it out, as it might be a meteor that could crash into the island, and that would be bad. Ah, to be young and care enough about things to be distracted from an empty bed. As they approach, they feel nostalgia for Power Pack number one, 50 long issues ago. 67 long episodes ago. Can you believe it? No, no I can't. Especially since the first time around you said 79, it's clearly 67. But that's okay. I edited that out. The kids follow a following star in issue number one, and they found a spaceship. Ah, yes. I remember it like it was yesterday. 
Julie talks about Jules Verne and his influence on sci-fi and her constant reading. But all of the space fighting and the reporting about the UFOs have caused some UFO lights to appear in the sky. And this excites the youngest power child, Katie. She leaps from the window and starts running around, knocking Julie's book into the dishwater, exclaiming, Mom! Everybody! There are UFOs! That could not possibly happen again, could it? Yes, yes it could. As they show up on the beach by seal ledges, they see a familiar-looking ship design in the water, followed by the emergence of a familiar-looking pony boy. It's Kofi! Hooray! And bonus points to Kofi for actually landing the ship instead of crashing it. Well, it appears that this was not a smart ship, so maybe he only destroys sentient ships that he has stolen. Possibly right. Possibly right. In any case, Kofi gives the kids the 411 from space as they hike back to the rented cottage where they are staying. Friday, their beloved smart ship is dying, and all of the elders and techno healers are giving up. So are all the king's horses and all the king's men. Kofi has shown up because, not unlike Obi-Wan Kenobi, he thinks that these kids are Friday's only hope. Hold your horses there, Kofi. The kids just can't jet off to the stars. The parents do not know about their powers, and they are on a family vacation. Is there some kind of awesome and amazing secret plan Kofi has for helping them sneak away? Uh, yep. He is hoping he can just ask the power parents if the five kids can come over to his space house for a sleepover for a couple of days. Wow. That is, uh, some kind of awesome and amazing secret plan Kofi has there. There's no way that I can possibly see that working, though. And yet... And yet, the kids tromp back into the house as Maggie Powers is laying out some breakfast, and she asks them how their walk was. They say that they had a fantastic walk, to which Jim says that him and Maggie had a rather fantastic morning themselves. <laughs> what? What's that about? Oh, nothing. Jim just had a really good morning. <laughs> huh. Okay. Well... The Power Children talk about how good their morning hike was. In fact, it was so good that they ran into an old friend, an alien from another planet. And in the door walks Kofi. Now, instead of a spit take, or fainting, or an anguished scream of, Dear Lord, not again! Jim and Maggie invite the young Chimelian in for some cakes of the pan, as they assume he must be starving after such a long interstellar trip. I'm sure that they also asked Kofi if he would like coffee, but he coughed and passed, confiding that he doesn't care for caffeine. While Kofi and Franklin discuss the higher points of pancake yumminess, of which we learn are Franklin's favorite, and Katie and Jack fight over food, Julie and Alex lay the groundwork for the interstellar slumber party. Julie also points out that it would give the two lovebirds a chance to spend part of their vacation alone together. Ahem, ahem, wink, wink. Still don't get it. While Julie is putting the disturbing icing on this vacation cake, Alex notices that his parents are just going with it. No shock, no real stress. Sure, they say they need to think about it, but it is with the same tone that they use for the kids asking to go out into a movie with some friends. In fact, in no time at all, the five kids find themselves buckled up into the Chimelian ship and blasting off from Earth for deep space. That is it. I wonder if they actually packed any sleeping bags or extra clothes. I doubt it. But Jack says, I still can't believe Mom and Dad would let us come. Julie and Alex both try to figure out some logic behind it. Maybe it's because they recently had to freak out during Inferno. Maybe it's because they met Kofi. Maybe it's because they're educated. 
Maybe it's because they were born with it. Maybe it's because it is Maybelline. Whatever the reason, the kids have obviously talked about it enough. The convo has lasted the entire trip, and now they are at Homeworld. This is the first time that the kids have seen the place where the Chimelians live. Remember, they blew up their planet when they tried to do a big science thingy, so now they live on a giant space station. This space station resembles a giant mechanical Mobius strip, and it elicits a very negative reaction from the kids who find it to be ugly and cold. It is in no way the magical My Little Pony fairyland that they imagined it to be. Cody reiterates the sad history of their planet and the brave work of the technocrats who constructed the world to save them. In fact, the technocrats teach that the chameleons have adapted so well to this technological terror terror that they wouldn't be able to survive any other way. So maybe a little less judging, kids. The kids apologize for being, well kids and Kofi lands. But this is not the fantastic welcome the galaxy famous power pack was expecting. I mean, we are talking 50 issues of fame here. Where's the key to the space city? Where's the techno tape parade? Where is the space horse drawn carriage ride through the space streets? Dude, ixnay on the Orsi Erike. But yeah, upon landing, the kids all start to get arrested for misappropriation of a Class F starship, engaging in unauthorized space travel and general circumvention of protocol, which actually makes some sense. I mean, they do have a record of stealing power ships, hearts and minds. Apparently, it is really a misunderstanding. They only really want to arrest Kofi for taking the ship without asking. Luckily, Byrell shows up and grants that Power Pack is deserving of any privilege because of their past heroics, including the use of any ship they want. Katie adds that Kofi isn't at fault either, as all of this was so that they could save Friday's life. Unfortunately, at this point, the pompous lead technocrat breaks the bad news that they are already too late. The smart ship Friday is dead. Dead? dead? Oh, oh no! no! Meanwhile, across the galaxy in Crazy Freddy's weapon world... Are you a despotic despot? Do you have a bottle full of revenge no drink holder to put it into? Do you want to wage war on a budget? Come on down to Crazy Freddy's Weapon World. Look at what we got. Slightly used robotic deathbots, mismatched space tanks, dented Cylons, Kryptonian crystal bombs. We got it all. And we are priced to sell, sell, sell. We also buy, buy, buy. Bring in your used space cruiser and leave with a small army. We got you covered and no questions asked. None. None at all. That's the Crazy Freddy guarantee. That about covers that, but who would ever go to this last chance galactic budget weapon seller in the Power Pack book? Queen Mother Maraud. Okay, granted, but why? To destroy a world. Hmm, interested. Yes, I would like to know more. Well, Maraud, shocker, is still holding a grudge and has decided to find the cheapest dealer in the galaxy to help her out. Crazy Freddy runs through a list of murder vehicles and death accessories that cause some serious owies. But Maraud is not looking for those baby scooters of death. No, she wants the big boy bombs. Crazy Freddy is nothing if not a salesman, and he has the perfect thing for her. The Galactus-matic. Fully guaranteed to chop, mince, slice, dice, and Julian any cosmic mass short of a minor star. And as the Queen and Freddy take a bicycle ride to check out the Killer Queen ship that is dynamite with a laser beam to the tune of We Are the Champions, let's get out of the Galactic Gun Garage and check out what is happening with Power Pack. It looks like they may be listening to Who Wants to Live Forever as they are attending the funeral for Friday. They have been given seats of honor on the stage as Byrell gives a long sermon about when the sacred energy, or the living spark, leaves a machine. 
and it makes it not sentient anymore and reverts it to just being a tool. He also breaks down the life and times of Smart Ship Friday, how she continually did her duty to protect her pilots, whether it be a foolhardy chimelion who should have not been on Earth, or four silly kids who had powers they should not have had, or a young chimelion with a habit of stealing and breaking smart ships, or of a powerful human small child whose parents have beaten Galactus. Pyrell hands the mic over to the Techno Chief, and let me tell you, this guy is a piece of work. He has the empathy of a robot himself, and he is taking the reins of this eulogy and pulling it over to the, but was she really sentient or just really well programmed line. He talks about how Friday was an excellent next step in the evolution of a perfect machine, something that will lead their society away from the silly life force ceremonies and towards more efficient technology. Way to bring politics into a funeral, dude. But as he wraps up, they open up the airlock to let Friday's life force canister fly away, back to space and the cosmic forces that powered it. But this is too much for the pack. Led by Katie and Franklin, they swarm the casket and give it that old healing hug while screaming that they are here now, that they came to heal Friday and that they love her. With this outpouring of emotion and healing from the heart, Friday's darkened vessel begins to glow, and it glows brighter and stronger until its light fills the room like a star. Friday is alive! alive! Friday is alive. She was just waiting for us. In the heart of a smart ship there is light For just a moment Friday refused to die Franklin, Kofi, and the powers, they were there And they were holding me I couldn't leave so I refuse to die They build me back up So that the sky could carry me They built me back up I looked up at the sky and its eyes on me Meanwhile on Crazy Freddy's used space freighter lot Home of the bargain basement booty Okay Freddy and the Queen have one vision, a giant planet-killing spaceship that looks like a big hollow log. Freddy says that they have built a handful of these, and that they have only lost one when some fool set it on automatic and it hightailed to parts unknown. No telling where the Doomsday Machine will turn up. S-T-T-O-S-S-2-E-6. Say what? It's where it turned up. Okay, nerd. Anyway, the Queen is very much in love with her new ride. You might even say, it is her new best friend. Freddy does not have to make too much of a sales pitch before the Queen says, I want it all. And while Freddy was under pressure to make the sale of the century, it is apparent that the Queen is just going to be doing some stealing. It's a hard life to be a salesman in this galaxy. You have to hear sweet ladies tell their sob stories of being a ruler and having people sing God save the Queen to you, only to have your throne taken by a bunch of children and your son turn on you and die. Well, only the good die young. True, true. But we, the readers, see where this is going. We are just waiting for the hammer to fall. And after the queen teleports her troops onto this Galactus-type ship, she asks Freddy to do the Fandango, and then blows up his asteroid base. Back on the interstellar spaceship of Stables, Power Pack is taken to a mall to chill out while Friday is recharged and placed into her new spaceship body. Dumping them at a great place to eat in the mall's food court, Kofi says that he has to take off and probably get yelled at by his dad for borrowing that smart ship. And off he goes. The kids settle in to enjoy their free meal and discover that their food options from McCain feed consist of the blue sawdust that they are familiar with and they know tastes like styrofoam, mush, or a big heaping helping of nothing. This really sets the mood for the kids' conversation as they settle in at a table to push their food around their plates. 
they notice that the older chameleons don't seem happy. And Franklin tells them that he can sense that while everyone acts happy, that they are all sad inside. Julie adds that they would be sad too if they could never go outside and had to live in a mall. They are really not liking the time that they are spending in this artificial homeworld. Whitey was so wonderful in Friday too. It wasn't supposed to be like this. I mean, when can we go home? Well, Katie, not anytime soon. Because their brood is interrupted by some of the members of Force 4, a chameleon superhero team that has orders to spend time with them, whether they like it or not. Oh boy. The team consists of Team Leader, a take-charge-won't-take-no-for-an-answer pouched-and-armored-horse-of-action who can create amazing inventions. A.K.A. not Mr. Fantastic. Thunderhoof, a mohawked huge pink bruiser who is actually a sensitive gentle giant. A.K.A. not Thing. And finally, Firemane, who is basically Johnny Storm if the Human Torch were a horse. A.K.A. Well, yeah, you already said it, but it's not Human Torch. Grandfather Byrell shows up to interrupt this interruption and says that they all need to go for a walk so that they can pick up and meet the final member of Force 4. Along the way, he informs Power Pack that it used to be that all Chimeleons had the potential to have superpowers, but that they have all changed with their environment, and now only a rare few do. Those that show these extraordinary gifts are taken and raised by the state. Raised by the state? Wow, what a heartwarming and friendly environment that must be. Not really, but where they go to next is the Life Museum. Thunderhoof tells Katie and Franklin, who are getting a ride on his shoulders, that this is a sacred place. And it is. Compared to the sterile and stale air of the mechanical world, this is a very sacred place. It turns out that the Life Museum is an artificial recreated partial ecosystem filled with the flora and fauna that was able to be saved from the original chameleon mother world. Here, straight out of a Disney movie, and surrounded by friendly animals, is the final member of Force 4, Ghost Mare. She is the sole female member of the group and has the ability to face her and her teammates. A.K.A. Not Shadowcat. She has also recently surprised her techno trainers by gaining nascent telepathic abilities as well. Okay, so not Shadowcat and Marvel Girl. And the only female on the team. Okay, so not Shadowcat and Marvel Girl and the Invisible Woman. Team leader starts to ride herd on her about slacking her responsibilities and spending so much time in this weedy place. He also roughly reminds her that she was supposed to be there with them when they met their visitors from Earth. She is very chastened and apologetic about this, but Byral sweeps it under the rug and says that there are introductions to be made. The time has come for that which has been decreed. Power Pack of Earth, meet Force 4 of Chimelia. The team shake hands, and Ghostmere says that they have heard much of Power Pack, and that it will be an honor to meet them in combat. Combat? Yes, combat. Well... It is sold as a training session. See, the techno trainers feel that since they have chameleon powers, that they should be trained by chameleons. And the best way that they have thought to do this is to have them practice fighting with some real masters. And Force 4 is the best there is. But don't worry, no one expects Power Pack to win. They just want to see them compete. That's why there are just a measly 100,000 people watching from the stands in the arena. And all of the people watching from home because, because this event is being live-streamed station-wide. See? Nothing. Nothing to be nervous about at all. That said, there are those that don't like them because they feel that the kids have stolen their powers. But, you know, that isn't everybody. Just, you know, go out. Have fun. Well, fun is in short supply as Force 4 enters the arena. But there is some good news. Byrell reminds everyone that this is a non-lethal training session meant to evaluate Power Pack's abilities. So there is no chance that anyone will be hurt. 
Incorrect. No such quarter is to be given. If the test is to be fair, all combatants must fight to the best of their abilities. Enforced force training allows for no less. They are incapable of halfway measures. Oh, maybe they should worry, because it sounds like things are going to come in hot. Hot is right. As Firemane comes in blasting flames at them, knocking the reluctant combatants off their feet, Alex calls for some cloud cover so that they can get their act together, and Julie obliges by putting the mists into Mystified. This works really well, right up to the point that Team Leader slaps together some pieces of his tech armor and makes a vacuum gun that traps Julie in a canister. Okay, maybe more like John Grey Crow from the Marauders than Cable and Mr. Fantastic. Well, Alex has Fireman's number, and he absorbs all of his flame attacks and redirects that energy to take out Team Leader with a massive flurry of powerballs. Except that Ghost Mare is there to phase him and keep him safe from harm. And then Thunderhoof stomps the ground. Zoom! Which stuns the entirety of Power Pack. Not so fast! Alex is up and ready to blast! Ghost Mare puts him into a full Nelson and phases him so that he can't absorb anything and his powerballs can't connect. Man, well, what about the rest of the team? Are they out of stun lock yet? Yep. Cool, now they can do nothing because Team Leader has made a force field emitter that has trapped them and effectively out of combat. The fight's over! Byrell agrees, but he tells the kids that they acquitted themselves nobly. They are children, after all, with much to learn, and the Chimelians have much to teach them. Consider this your first lesson. In humility, let it also be a lesson to those who doubted our techno-supremacy, based on the exaggerated reports of your exploits. Yo, lesson ain't over yet, bub. Jack, Katie, and Franklin have used the time given to them from their defeat speech to come up with a plan. And it's a good one. Projection Franklin scares Team Leader, causing him to drop his emitter, which turns the force field off. Katie is absorbed to Julie's canister and tosses it to Jack, who baseball chucks it through the phased Alex and Ghostmare, which frees a very angry Julie, which startles Ghostmare into letting go of Alex. Katie overwhelms Ghostmare's senses with rainbow loops, and Alex Zerg rushes Team Leader, and Decentus shreds all of his tech armor while also knocking him out. Fireman comes to Ghostmare's aid and chases off Katie with a flurry of fireballs. Julie, help! And she does, by engulfing her fiery foe in a bubble field which snuffs out his flame. Thunderhoof is impressed with the children's abilities, but warns the charging Jack that he will get hurt, because charging him is like charging a wall of heavy stone. Gee, mister, I don't know. You feel as light as a feather to me. Jack's degrav charge takes Thunderhoof up into the air with him, and then Jack throws him down onto the ground on top of Fire Main. Wham! Knocking both combatants out. Force 4 is defeated! And by this, I mean that they are wrecked! The assembled Chimelians can't believe that this is possible. It, it has to be some kind of trick. Do the children realize what they have done? Look, we never asked for this fight. And as for what we realize, all we can say is... Shrekt! Ba-boom! You've got one heck of a way of treating guests. And with that, Power Pack Triumphant walks over their fallen, unwanted foes through the massive blast gate that Alex powerballed open and out of the arena. And that is how you make an exit! Later, the nicer half of Force 4, meaning Thunderhoof and Ghostmare, join Kofi in a search for Power Pack. Unsurprisingly, they are found inside the Life Museum, angrily staring at, well, a nearly identical holographic view of the sea that they just left on Earth. Man. You travel across the galaxy and only wish to be back home. Kim, you were right. Here they are. We've been looking everywhere for you guys, but Kim knew you'd be here. 
Go away, Kofi. We don't want to talk to you. Kim, a.k.a. Ghostmare, offers to try and talk to the kids first, and she takes a really nice soft approach, asking them about their home and admitting defeat. Thunderhoof follows it up with a plea that they really, really just want to be friends. It comes down to the fact that they were trained to follow orders and that they had no idea that Power Pack didn't want to fight. Excuse me, alien horse people, but being human beings from the planet Earth, we have issues with the phrase, we were just following orders. See all of our past world wars. Kofi bundles this all up and says that they are all sorry, that it was all a big mistake. And can we please just go watch them install Friday 2.0 into her new body? Back in the smart ship shop, Byral admits that they were wrong about needing to train them and reminded him that fighting should not be thought of as fun or as entertainment. Have you seen what's on TV these days? The Techno Jerkface learned another lesson, though. Apparently, the Techno Trainers that set up the training program are at fault because they underestimated the Earthling's capacity for violence. And Force 4 should have won. We're here to see Friday. Congratulations to Alex for not punching the scientist in his dumb face. The Friday ice cream sandwich reinstall is complete, but she is not responding to the scientist or anyone for that matter, no matter what kind of control out delete they're doing. All systems and life function are up and running, and it does look like Windows was correctly installed, but there is no action going on. That is, until Power Pack is brought into the room, and then she is back online, full of vim and vinegar and explaining how much she has missed the children. Then those big metal hands come out of the ship and give big hugs all around. It is a great big reunion love fest. You know, that is until <laughs> Mr. Techno Jerk starts to pull Friday's strings, showing everyone the upgrades and changes they have made. What follows is a couple-page infomercial about the new and improved Attack Smart Ship. Now with more offensive features. It slices, it dices, it launches missiles and teleports short distances. It has shields and alt modes. It can be a tank, a sub, a Swiss army knife. It can take a beating, heavy fire, and rips to her hull, and she can keep on fighting. Friday is amazing! The kids are horrified by this display. They just saw their ship come back to life, get rebuilt, and now it's getting punished. Friday assures them that her new armor is just fine, and it's all part of the test. Smart ships are designed to sacrifice themselves for their masters. It's what they're built for. There's a lot to unpack there. I mean, yeah, you want a machine to protect you in battle, but why make it super sentient and then program it to obey you unto death? That is really pushing into some slippery moral and ethical debates. Yurik would like the kids to hang around and celebrate with him. Uh, needless to say, the pack is done. D-O-N-E, done with this artificial nightmare planet and its disappointing inhabitants. So in as polite a way as possible, they say, stick it in your long pointy ears. They have been gone for a long time and they are sure their parents are worried about them. And this is where Yurik drops a big old bomb. If you are concerned with them discovering your secret powers, you needn't be. Your parents will never suspect you. They will always believe anything you tell them. Say what, Willis? Yurik noticed how upset the power parents were last time, so he altered their brain patterns to make them more susceptible to suggestions that came from the kids. Wow. Have you guys been taking lessons from the Reed Richards and Charles Xavier Manual of Influencing and Controlling People? Precisely. The upshot is that a group of aliens messed with their parents' minds to help the kids protect their secret identities. Sure, there's a small chance of an emotional backlash if the parents are ever violently confronted with the truth, but <laughs> I mean, when could something like that happen? Like, you know, 
eight issues ago at Inferno? Oh, sure, there's that. But you know, with the Chimeleons, they never told the kids about it. But Yurik did file a complete report about it to the proper bureaucratic department's own station. Wow, that's also a lot to unpack. And when Power Pack unpacks it, they find that they are angry. I mean, really angry. So the pack once again storms off from a misguided herd of Chimeleons that are telling the kids how much they are helping them. I mean, when you are stuck in an artificial world and your heart and trust keep being broken by people you cared about, you really only have one power move, and that is to walk away. And the kids have got that nailed in pretty good. Wait, stop. We did it for your own good. We thought you would be relieved. Kofi, make them understand. No, father. It is they who have made me understand. Kofi shoves his father away and canters after Power Pack. He has a lot of practice of doing this, and he excels at it. Usually it does involve him stealing a smart ship, but since Power Pack is on the space station and nearby, he gets the novel experience of doing it on hoof. Besides, why steal a smart ship when the smart ship can steal itself? Friday has been calling to the children, begging them not to leave, but when she saw everyone else was having fun, she joined in. The scientists try to prevent her from leaving, but, much to their astonishment, she is all like, Fools, you don't control none of this. I'm my own ship, fool. And she runs off. Back in the great domed hall where Friday's funeral had taken place, the kids are throwing a massive, massive, very impressive temper tantrum. Katie, Jack, and Alex are demolishing the place. Julie is passively watching while Franklin broods. It's uh, kind of nice to see them just kind of letting it all hang out. Kofi comes in and nearly gets a chair to the muzzle. The pack does not want him, his blue sawdust, or his brainwashing race anywhere near them or their parents. Kofi's hurt and saddened by this, and with tears falling from his big equine eyes, he says, No, please, you guys are my best friends, my, my only friends. Well, we're leaving Kofi, somehow. That somehow is answered when Friday shows up, through a skylight above them. Friday explains that Whitey changed her programming long ago. She was made to die for her masters, but Whitey had freed her of their directives and taught her to care for people. She sacrificed herself for Power Pack because she loves them. Full stop. Nothing more. And now she's going to help them bust out of this twisted barnyard and take them home. The kids gleefully climb on board the ship, leaving a sad Kofi standing all alone. At least, until Franklin pops his head out with a handful of verbal carrots and tells him that he is part of the pack too, and that they were waiting for him. Verbal carrots? Really? I contend that it was funny. It was not. Nay, nay, nay. Well, Kofi is delighted with the prospect of running away from home. Again. And in another stolen smart ship. Again. As the smart ship flies away, the kids ask Friday if she can help unbrainwash their parents. She doesn't know if she can, but she will try. While the kids marvel at how puny and insignificant the chameleon homeworld looks, they make up with Kofi, and they let him know that he is a member of their family, especially since they know his real family is nothing but a herd of horse-faced jerks. And speaking of that herd, they are failing at tracking their missing smart ship, but they are picking up some really big, big readings. Some huge ship has just entered proximity, and they're transmitting a communication. Greetings, Haskins. Mirad, dispossessed queen mother of Snockworld, in exile for treason. What do you want of us? Funny you should ask. Boom! 50 issues of Power Pack, but no time to rest before we launch into a second 50. Next issue, the pack battles an old enemy and meets a character more powerful than Galactus. Be here for the Numinous. 
But in the meantime, we have Power Pack Packaging Time! I'm holding the book in my hands, and it feels a little heavy, especially since right over here I still have the book that we did last time, which was a very thin, you know, two eight-page story with no yep. ads in it. And, you know, it's just kind of a, almost like a pamphlet that with a Power Pack Spider and PSA against this 50-page double-sized, special giant-sized issue. This this thing's got some weight to it, man. I know, and the only ads in this issue are on the back page, and that was the shield one that yeah, we this... did for our cold open. This is cover-to-cover -cover content yes, for yes, Power Pack. And on the front, we have something very, very familiar. It is a very awesome homage to Power Pack number one. In the first one, you know, of course, we had Julie flying while holding Alex... And Alex was holding on to Katie. And they were all in their uh, pajamas. Jack was in cloud form off to the side. So in this time, it's nearly the same positions, except that Alex is once again holding somebody, but he's being held up by Jack with the zero G power. And he's holding on to Frank in kind of the same way that he was holding on to Katie. Instead of running away from spaceships or running from a big snark behind them. But, you know, Friday's in that this shot, too. It's very reminiscent of the first one. I think it's a very cool job that Bog and Barda did on this. Well, this is very much a callback to the basics. It is the they talk about even the first issue several times inside the you know inside the story so it it makes sense that they would kind of do a a redux of the of the of the original story or of the original cover that is this is really paying a lot of respect to what the first 50 issues were and i think it does a very nice job with that i really like this cover like i said it's it's a very good callback and it does talk right to all the prior 50 issues and there's a lot of good callbacks in that i mean we start off with the star falling and it yep. being not yep. a star, but actually a spaceship. That's just right out of the first issue. Also throughout the issue, too, we have a lot of callbacks to a lot of other things that happen. There's about five or six different footnotes that are throughout yep. the book of things that have happened in the past issues. Like, oh, this happened. You know, like, Maraud was dethroned in this issue. You know, we had our powers changed in this issue. Oh, we saw the chameleons in this issue. And so it's callback, callback, callback to a lot of things that happened before. Which I, I think is a really nice way to, to kind of frame the story and, and put a lot into the story. There is a lot in here. Uh, this is not meant as an insult, but this is classic bog. There is a <laughs> lot going on. There is uh, thought bubbles, word bubbles, text bubbles, text, lots of... Uh, just throw it at there. Just take all the type print you can get and just throw it at the page. There's a lot to read. This is... I can think of probably three books you could make out of this easily. Oh, easily, yeah. Um, you know, you could have the entire first part where the kids do the travel up and the first meeting and Friday's funeral and, and I'm on a cliffhanger with Friday, you know, waking up. Okay, mm -hmm. great. So Friday's alive. Okay, getting in kind of installed. And then we have the entire issue about the meeting with and the combat with Force 4. And then the last issue is just kind of like all the setup and everything of them leaving and getting off there and then Queen Maraud coming in. You could do three really nice books on this oh, one. Yeah. But no, you, you got one book that's just... Nah, jam it in. Go, go, go. Ain't no time to rest. Ain't no time to reload. Go. Do it. No, 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 no. Let's talk about the Chameleon Mother World, the home world. Mm -hmm. It was destroyed from issue number one because of what had happened. Yeah. So this is the first time we get to see where they currently live. We'd heard they had, Whitey had kind of talked about it, that, you know, don't make the mistakes of our race. We are off of our home world. We now live on a space station. And they come to see this and they're like, okay, this should be this technological marvel. And yeah, it's kind of like the worst version of Disneyland. Kind you know? of, but <laughs> it, it is a technological marvel. It is this, it is a huge 
mechanical world that they made. It's moon sizes, planet size. I don't know. I don't know. You know the exact thing, but it is this huge, huge place. It's not like yeah, we have a hundred people that live here. No, it is their new home world, and it is gigantic, and is this giant mechanical Mobius strip, and it is, you know, it's massively impressive. It, it really is. It's this sure. huge living station that they've made. It's kind of a little bit like Deep Space Nine. Mm-hmm. Deep Space Nine is cool, and they did a lot of adventures in that Star Trek show, and, you know, it was fine to live on there. People lived on there. But it was not a home world. It was a place that you went, visited. Some people lived and worked there, but that's not where you're going to be spending your entire life. Yeah, They have made this marvel of thing where they are living, and they only have a few places where they, they've got the special... Uh, you know, rooms set aside with the fauna mm-hmm. and, and where they, you know, the sacred places where yeah. they could, you know, still get in touch with nature. But it sounds like nobody uses it Not anymore. Not really, yeah. It's They talk about it in the issue where they say in a a quiet section of the city, there is a place. It's like you're saying, it's just, it's disused. Nobody goes there. Everybody kind of makes fun of it. Team leader calls it a weedy place. Uh, you know, other people call it sacred, but those usually old timers and it's, you know, it's watched over by old timers. So it is... Everybody has kind of gotten into that mall lifestyle. It's intimated that it's like, oh, they got off their home world, they got onto this mechanical world, and you know the technocrats were able to make it, you know, it, the world exactly as they wanted to. Well, they're they're technomancers, they're tech, you know, they're techno sorcerers, scientists, whatever. They're gonna go for a techno station as opposed to a techno organic or organic or something that you know is comfortable. So they're gonna be like, hey, we love technology. We're gonna make this a Radio Shack. Yeah, <laughs> it's an Apple store kind of thing so it is very artificial and they talk about how the race can't possibly live off of this now they've adapted to living on this mechanical planet yeah i think that's a lie there's also the aspect too where it's just like all the chimelians used to have powers everybody had a power or they had the ability to to generate a power but it is because they've gotten away from their natural environment and their natural world setting they're getting away from their inherent nature which means that very few of them are developing superpowers now. And where before it was this common thing, you know, it's like, oh, it's as common as wheat. Well, in a wheat blight, that's pretty rare. So, yeah. Another thing that I was going to point out, too, is they also have the same conversation where they're talking about the loss of Friday when they are giving the Friday her funeral rites. Yeah. And, you know, she actually has uh, ascended into a sentient being and... This is from the, the the age old spark that the sorcerer that the chameleon sorcerers used to be in touch with, and there's there's a lot of that connection to, you know, even though it was a sentient machine, even though it was you know technological, there still was that mysticism about it all. Yeah. And then of course you have the tech technocrat that comes up and says, "Nah, we just programmed her really really well, and she has exceeded her programming, and she has allowed us to advance even more to the next step." So it's again that entire fight between. The man-made, or excuse me, the horse-made, and the and the mystical, if you will. Yeah, well, I think Byrell even talks about it, where he discusses where it's like sorceresses from long ago came across basically life energy of the universe, and they figured out how to harness it. You now have a very motherly, matronly kind of thing, where it's just like these female spell slingers, you know, they could generate life. It is very much the I created children, except these children happen to be spaceships. Kind yeah. of thing. So it is the the mystical life energy of the universe that they have harnessed to you know to kind of power and create these sentient ships. You know, in my kind of opinion, it's like yeah, you're now making like a quasi life. You've made an artificial life, yet it is still a life because you are using life energy to 
create a sentient being with a personality and you know hopes and dreams and then like you technologically kind of started putting some fetters onto there and that's also where you get into the entire thing about they're slaves to their masters yeah and that's just uncomfortable mm-hmm. but once again it points out the good of whitey that you know what whitey did is he taught friday no you you are your own person you are your own being you need to make your own choices you don't serve me mm-hmm. you know we work together and whoever else you you are with whoever else you work with you it's your choice whether you want to care for them or not yeah she eventually does by caring for power pack mm-hmm. yeah like you had said whitey had removed those fetters and then just said hey you're more than what you have been told you are Speaking of bad choices, let's talk about the brainwashing of the parents. Um, (laughs) (laughs) There is a lot of choices that have been made by the Chimelians, all of which are like, hey, uh, no. It's kind of funny because issue number one, you kind of had this view that, you know, hey, we made mistakes in our race. You know, Mm -hmm. Whitey comes down and says, we made mistakes. We have learned from our mistakes. We are better. I'm a nice guy. I'm the representative of my race. All my race must be nice guys. That is about the last moment that we see a nice chameleon, except for Kofi. Well, there's Kofi. No, because you have uh, Alefire. It's your first contact. This is my first encounter. This must be an average member of the race. They are amazing. They are caring. They are giving. They are loving. Okay, uh, next one that we meet. It's, you know, they meet Kofi. They meet uh, the astral projection of Beryl, you know, their new grandfather. Horse father, grandfather. But but even then, we still, they're, they're, we start to see some of the cracks even then. We start to see that there's some problems that exist with the, their race and, and especially with their relations with the snarks. I mean, snarks are not great people, but you start to see a few things here and there. It's like slowly but surely we start realizing the, this is really not a a really great race. Yeah, well, because you, <laughs> you kind of start getting those cracks is uh, the introduction of Europe. So, you know, Kofi, you know, and okay, Kofi's the rebellious teen and he's got the father who's still grieving the loss of his, you know, wife, you know, Kofi's mother. You know, so there's kind of like, he's a little bit more, okay, he's more of the exception and there's reasons for it. But then you start seeing, oh, his bureaucracy and kind of his you know, horse-headedness and everything Ah. might not, I know, yeah, you saw what I did there, might not be so much an exception of the race as it is actually kind of how they are. And the more that we meet on planet, especially with the technocrats who are, you know, it's just like, no, science, we've scienced. And if it's not science, it is wrong. Well, what about the moral implications? I said science. So... (laughs) Basically, what we discover is that they are people with flaws and faults. And and, you know, and the biggest one here is uh, they, they brainwash Power Pack's parents. Just oh, a little okay. bit. Just a just touch. A little bit. Just, just enough. A little bit. Just the right amount. It, yeah. It's a good explanation for why they broke so badly. Yeah. No, it is a great explanation for that. That is an awesome retcon on that. Yeah, it also is a good explanation for uh, how it was so easy for them to be fixed. Yeah. With just a little trick of mu- of mutant powers. Mm-hmm. It, it explains how they have kind of let things go. I mean, you kind of wonder sometimes, like, aren't these parents really that naive? You know, their kids are always gone all the time. But uh, apparently there is something in there. It's a really good retcon for what it does. Is it naivety or is it storytelling? Is it in... Yes. It's because of script. You know, it's like I always say, it's like, well, why are the parents like this? Script. Script. That's why script says... They were written that way. They needed to be because, uh, you know, you you know, got to keep it fast. 
time is funny, fast is money, yeah. you know, that kind of thing. You got to do that where you're like, well, how about we dedicate five issues kind of into like the intricacies of the parents' relationship and their thought process on this? No, no, no. Go, go, go. Got to fight Hobgoblin or have Spider-Man pop in for six panels and go, your power pack, eat broccoli and take off, you know, that kind of stuff. And, you know, they, they got to go out and do all these fights, especially with Force 4. Force 4. Force 4. Force 4 and their four locks. I know. The 90s <laughs> horse band of the late 80s adventures ever. They needed more swords, eye tattoos, and p- pouches. That's what they needed. I, I, I would like to, to, to reach back out to uh, John Bogdanov and say, okay, so what was on the cutting room floor with Force 4? Because, I mean, I, there, there's got to be some other powers, other <laughs> other characters that, that didn't make the cut for this team. Uh, <laughs> oh, I want to see all the, yeah, I want to see all the other, like... <laughs> B and C and D team Force 4 members like Horseface, a man of a dozen faces. You know, that guy. You know, he can take the take the uh, appearance of any Chimelian and Earthers are like, so you're a horse guy. No, but now yeah. I look like a different horse guy. Oh, oh. you look like Better Ray Bill. It's like, no, I don't look like Beta Ray Bill. Beta Ray Bill looks nothing like me. I look nothing like Beta Ray Bill. How dare you? Also, I can't make myself look like a Corbinite. So. You, you do. You, you do. I mean, we have the similarities to other heroes. And, you know, their far away look, it's kind of like, you can almost put Fantastic Four in it. But, I mean, you also kind have of. a lot of similarity to other heroes, too. Like yeah. like I said, uh, the, the, the leader, kind of Cable-esque, all the pouches and all the the, the guns. But also a lot of um, John Gray Crow mm-hmm. uh also known as Scalp Hunter, yep. but you know, Marvel is actually kind of pulling, pulling back away from that, from that one a little bit. Yeah, a little bit. And then you have, of course, uh, Fireman. It's Johnny it is Storm. Johnny Storm. It's Johnny Storm. Up down to the everything. Up, yeah, everything. Uh, Ghost Mary. It's it's Shadow Cat. It's that that's the real kind big thing of, I get from yeah, Shadow. It's it's Shadow Cat from the eighties, nineties kind of area. Kind of thing. A, a, little, a, little a little cross uh, cross bleed in with Storm, just in the nature sense, just. Uh, vaguely on yeah, that, vaguely. a little bit of the the Marvel Girl with the telepathy. Uh, uh, but here's the problem with let's create an original character right now. Uh, they're going to be really agile and cling to walls. Oh, you mean Spider Man? No, no. Okay, how about no Nightcrawler? No. Uh, how about they they uh, are nigh invulnerable and fly? Oh, you mean Superman? No. Ooh. How about? Um, <laughs> uh, so I mean, are you saying are you saying are you saying all the good powers have already been taken? It's vaguely along those lines it's just that aspect I've got of a Polit- I've got a Palladium book and a couple of percentile dices we can roll on some random power generator tables and we can come up with a whole new character I know well look, that sounds like a, a a solo podcast for its own right where we could just uh, create superheroes <laughs> and make fun of them hey if you would like to if you would like us to do a Polydian role-playing game between the two of us uh, the patreon <laughs> account is at yeah. Jeff and Rick presents at patreon that's what we call a plug but no I, I I do like the fact that the chameleon's entire idea behind this is hey we heard that there's a, a group of humans who have our powers, who have created their own superhero team, and apparently they're really good. You know, we should have one of those. They haven't really copyrighted that, have they? Yeah, I'm not have sure they? if... No? I'm not sure. Well, they don't get into that aspect of it if it was inspired by Power Pack or if it, oh, was, it was just inspired by the state going, you know what? Superpowers actually are a valuable resource, and we need to monetize slash weaponize those. So it... I can see this as being something that the state put together after they heard about it. I can there there still were people that had powers. I'm sure these four probably came out of either uh, tech or some kind of military 
training, you know, they're like, oh, you've got powers and you're already in the military. All right, we're going to put you guys, we're going to focus on your powers and we're going to build you up and be a superpower team because we need one of those. <laughs> hey, how come they got a superhero team? Why don't we have a superhero team? We want a superhero team. Can we have a superhero team? We can have a superhero team. <laughs> we got to give them costumes. Uh, you mean just our normal Chimelian wear? No costumes no we need we need good costumes we need good stuff to make us look really cool we need good yeah you know what we need to do you know where we need to go we need to go to crazy freddy's yeah that's what they need to do Mm -hmm. that's what they need to do queen m and freddy uh is it too much or just the right amount of cheese and were our jokes just a little over the line or exactly right maraud a killer a killer queen. Killer queen. I think. I think that we were we were under pressure to make that funny and to bleed <laughs> that dry. I I don't know if John, good old Johnny B, had a little underlying thing with you know Queen and Freddie thinking mm. of uh, that because he didn't like touch. He didn't even like I, I intimate so. in. I think. I think that might be our funny. I think so. I just. I think that this was him. Kind of wanting to just have some fun. Yeah. Because he made. He made. Crazy Freddy, a just a pastiche. Oh, of I know. Joke. I mean, it is, <laughs> it is such a late night infomercial character. Oh, I it know. Is. Yeah, it's just, it's just you could, it's kind of yeah, heavy set. You know, you got the little rolls going on. You got just that, just the sweaty appearance. You know, it's just like the look of it. It's just this sweaty salesman, right down to you know the salesman pattern. To that, you're looking for this, but if you don't like that, you could go for this, and then we could upsell you to this. Well, let's just start low. You could get some point, you know, plague seeds for two quatlus. But yeah, you know what? You're a queen of discerning needs. What you want to do is, and then yeah, the upsell. But I just love the fact upsell, 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 upsell. Always be selling. No, down to his just loud, obnoxious checkerboard or hash mark sports coat in like yellow and black. It is just like, yeah, it's just everything about this cigar smoking, just red bow tie. Uh, I guess a cigarette. But yeah, just everything about him just is greasy. Not even greasy. 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 Yeah, just a greasy salesman. Just just loud, obnoxious. It's just, it, he's absolutely ridiculous. And I both... Love, 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 love him, and am just like, ugh, this guy. But I think that would be the uh, approach that almost anybody dealing with him would have, where they're just like, yeah. ugh, this guy. But he does have the kill bots. He's got kill bots, and he's also got uh, pff, the biggest gun in the galaxy for sale. Yep. So, you know, we got Queen Maraud back. We, we got uh, 50 issues in. We made it to 50 issues of Power Pack. 50 more to go. Oh, yeah. 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 Well, if you uh, if you take in all the other stuff, you you we you... got a, we got more episodes. We got more episodes, but you know we got twelve more after this. You know they didn't know when it was going to end. And twelve more issues, but hey, fifty issues. It's not bad. It's not bad at all. But we normally spend this time right here talking about library cards. I am not going to do that this time because this was a nice long book and we had a lot to talk about in it. So I thought I'd just go ahead and cut this segment and get right down to our power thoughts. Do you agree with that, the Science Corner boy? Well, uh, I could see that, but I'd still like to do Science Corner. So if I may. Uh, do you have to? I have to. So in this issue, I noticed that it was very long and I didn't want to take up any more of our dear listeners' valuable time. Unlike Rick, who just got very lazy. And that is this week's Science Corner. Didn't you just take up more of their time by telling them that? Yeah, but it made me smile, so. (laughs) Ah, 
I want to find my own thing to smile, and I'm going to find my thing to smile on Power Thoughts. It's time to talk about the refrigerator gallery. That's where we look at the pieces of art in this book that we want to hang on the family refrigerator. And we always start off with our funny ones, and that would be our funny backup one. I'm going to start with my funny backup one, and I'm going to go to page 21. And maybe it's not funny. I always laughed at it. I always remembered this one. And I call this one, Eat Your Heart Out Disney. Yeah. And, and this is where Ghost Mare is sitting on the shore. There's like the water right Not there. Not even and sitting. She's, just, she is, uh, she's lounging. Lounging on the shore. There's the trees behind her and the sun's coming through and she's got a cockatoo type bird on her arm that she's kind of like nose to nose with. Uh, in her other hand, she's petting what looks like a type of raccoon or a lynx, a couple of birds, there's a lizard coming up, there looks like a waterfowl that's coming up, more of these mammals are coming up to her. I mean, you, you just are waiting for her to whistle and, and seeing the bluebirds come down, and yeah, it is... Yeah, it, it is. made me laugh. Yep, it's it funny. Is. I, I was thinking this was going to pop up on somebody's list, and I was right. <laughs> I was right. Yeah, yep. it's it's a good picture to begin with, but it's just like, man, yeah, Disney. <laughs> it is. It is. Yeah, it, it, uh, it also just shows how in tune with the natural world she is, or yes. how the animals are used to her because she's the only person that comes here. <laughs> There's that, too. There's that, too. What do you have for your funny one, sir? My backup funny one is on page four and i call it out of the way you stupid birds and that is the left hand panel that eats the entire uh, you know top to bottom of the page and this is when uh power pack and kofi are zipping off up into space from the earth so they're leaving uh monohegan island behind and flying straight up well not straight up because there's birds in the way so they got to zigzag away from the birds so <laughs> or you could also call this this is how it's done captain soli <gasps> oh, too oh. soon? Too soon? <laughs> Way too soon. You Way know, I've never soon. seen that movie. Yeah, but you read the uh, news article, I read right? the news article. Oh, I All might right. have skimmed the uh, headline. I might have heard somebody tell me about a thing about it. <laughs> I know who Tom Hanks is, so get off my case. <laughs> he's the guy from Castaway, right? Uh, he's the guy from Bozambatis. Oh, Bozambatis. Yes. All right. Let's talk about my top funny one, and that is on page 41. I call this one the tantrum, and this is on the top of the page, and this is where the kids are just going berserkoids. They are, uh, Katie is stomping her feet, Jack is kicking over a chair, Alex is throwing a chair with the most anguished look on his face. Julie is over there just angrily standing in a corner. Yeah, she's leaning our, against the wall with fists wall. cocked, which is funny. And and then you have Franklin just brood. Yeah, he's a sad Franklin. <laughs> a little poor sad Frank. I like Katie just stomping her feet. Like, yeah, that's some damage you're doing there, little uh, fly girl. <laughs> it's just, just foot there, stamp. I mean, this is just so kid. I mean, yeah. this is... This really doesn't feel like them. No. And yet at the same time, it conveys their feelings at this moment. Oh, totally. And I love it. I love it. Yep. What do you have? You're on the same page I'm here? on the same page, page 41. And if, if you go down a panel on the right, mm -hmm. you will see what I have picked, which I call, I'm not angry and violent and I'll fight any one of you that says otherwise. <laughs> and this is uh, <laughs> this is after Kofi has come in the room and he's trying to calm them down and explain to Alex. He goes, Alex, please, I didn't know. I never would have let them. And Alex is angry and telling Kofi to go away. But Kofi's like, you know, grabbing a hold of uh, of like his shirt, basically pleading with Alex. And Alex has just got this drunkard's angry face with his fists up and just an un... Just, it's like he's going to punch somebody, but he's just too incapacitated to do it effectively. I just saw that, and I'm like, 
Alex, go home. You're drunk. Alex, go home. You're drunk. <laughs> yeah, he needs to. He needs to sleep it off. He needs uh, somebody call him an Uber and put him in there and pat his head and <laughs> see if the Uber will actually make sure he gets into his house. <laughs> Let's go back and talk about some good pictures and some good art. Now, this is not John Bogdanov. This is Todd Smith, but it's really good. It's really good. I am not. I, I can't think of other stuff that Todd Smith has done, and I probably should have done a little bit more research on that because I dropped the ball on it. Eh, it's not like we're a but, deep dive show. Yeah, I know. I mean, it's not quite his style, but at the same time, it's 50 pages, so I'm kind of yeah. like, I was ready to go leeway on it, but well, it's pretty good art. I like it. Yeah. I really do like the the art that's in here. I think Todd Smith did a very, very good job. Yeah, Technically, and if we look, it's 46 pages of comic, but you know, whatever. I'm rounding yeah. up for awesomeness. That works. This is after oh, yeah. uh, Power Pack has routed yeah. <laughs> Force 4. In the midst of this, Alex takes down Team Leader, and he just rips apart and disintegrates off a lot of the armor that this horse was wearing. And I mean, this horse chameleon came in and big and buff and he's got all this armor on. By the time Alex is done, he is just a smoking mess of a thin little thing on the ground. Yeah. And it's just like, man, Alex ruined him. Ruined him. Yeah, Alex wrecked this guy immensely. So that's what I got. What do you have for your backup? My backup best one is on page 13 and I call it the Doomsday Machine. And this is the upper half panel of the page, and it shows the Star Trek original series season two, episode six, Doomsday Machine, the big old cornucopia of death, so to speak, that uh, it's in orbit. It's in amongst a bunch of other uh, just space debris clutter I'm going to sell you a satellite or some missiles and I just want to storm out here. Some of it's junk, some of it's not. It's just that's that's the outdoor storage. That's the that's the surplus area. You know, over planet and it is just this huge glowing tube of doom and it's I just love the way that it looks cuz you know, you get this sense of immense scale. It's in space. There's all these other bits floating around. There's stars in the background. It's I just really like this. No, I, I like it too. This is this is a good one to have in there. I think it's very interesting seeing our, how the ship is made. It's it's almost organic with this pulsating light inside. It looks like a big piece of wood. Yeah. It looks like a big log. Yeah, it's like a big death log. Like a big petrified death log. Yeah, I'm looking for the geocache inside it. But yeah, it's this big <laughs> giant log that, that, that does this. There's a small city on, the, on it and it does some blow, blow up stuff and mm -hmm. it yeah, it has one job, and it blows things up, and it blows things up really yep. well. It blows stuff up and then eats the stuff, so it's very Galactus-like, yeah. Go to the last, and I call this one Boom. Oh, that's an interesting name. I called it Big Bada Boom. Ah, you had the same one. Big Bada Boom. Big Boom. Big Bada Boom. Number one. Yeah, this is where Marad has blown up the planet, and it is a... Um, it's almost like plasma is coming yep. out of the planet as it's exploding. And yep. it's just, it is pretty awesome. And I think what also sells it yeah. is the, the top, top part panel. of the, the, the top panel, which is there, which is just Murad's eyes and funny, you should ask. And that's the insert panel into this giant splash page of a planet blowing up. It is very nice. It is, it is a very, very nice. nice. But yeah, uh, nice. You, you you keyed in on uh, kind of my behind the curtain trick where I'm like, I can squeeze a second panel choice in on this without mentioning it. Mm. Excuse me, sir. Excuse me. <laughs> Whose trick is that? Yours. Whose but trick it, you, is that? You don't even have the trick of that. You just go, my favorite panel is page 18 through 1200. 
and I love the way it looked. And it's like, that's all the panels. You're like, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. That's because I'm the best and you're the worst. And whatever bad thing you say about me bounces off me and sticks to you. Because this is rubber glue moment, baby. Because I'm the What's worst the best around. around. Everything's going to hold me down because I'm the worst best around. around. We planned that. We we practiced that for hours and we got it lip synced and we had the words rehearsed. Mm-hmm. So, hey, you, sir, are nothing except magical space horsey. That's all you are is just a magical space horsey. Because that's what Alex says on page 41. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Now, you may not think that, that that's much, but, I mean, he is saying that in a fit of anger. There is a lack of a lot of insults in this. Yes, but this was a good one because he is angry. Yeah. He's oh, about no. to punch He's about to punch off Kofi, and he is saying, I have had it with you and your whole race of magical space horses. Those are words that cut to the quick, my friend. They do, they do. To take the thing, you know, that is just like, this is what we've been calling them with delight and awe and reverence and now we're turning it around and just saying you're magical space horses yeah that's what you are magical space horses no you're not you suck you know it's just like eat it space horses eat it, eat it. yeah exactly so yeah no that, that is a great one that is a really good backup one what is your backup one my backup rubber and glue moment is on page 21 and i'm giving it to team leader and this is when they have gone into the life museum to go get ghost mare and this is where team leader is you know just like starting to chew in to uh ghost mare and it's just like you know not to mention an increased tendency to hide from her duties here in this weedy place you have a recreation of your home world you have you have your terra firma. You have your, you know, your your bounty. This is the cradle of life. This is where we came from, and you are referring to it as this weedy place. I'm curious though. I I, I kind of looked really hard at these pictures because they were very 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 beautiful pictures. Oh yeah. And um, I'm really not seeing any cannabis, so I don't understand why he's calling it weedy. Oh okay. Well, it is because the mother world's capital was was much like in Oregon uh, called weed. So it was oh, Weed oh. Mother World. Like Weed Oregon is the capital of Oregon. I, I and, think and what, I don't look what, at maps, and, I don't know. And and one of the uh the, the most populous towns was Eugene, right? Uh it could be. Could be. It could might be. just be, yeah. Okay, good to know. Good to know. My top one is on page forty five. And this is coming from our favorite mother. Yep. The, the mother of the year. Mm-hmm. And this would be Queen Maraud. Greetings, Haskins. <laughs> Greetings, hairskins. Yep. I'm sorry, hairskins. I might start using that. Yeah. I, I might start using that on people. I, I, I was think looking that that at this a, one. I think that is a good, good insult to use against people. I was looking at that. Yeah. No, I, I looked at this one, and then I'm like, that's a great one. And then I'm like, how how very accurate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think that this would be a good one to use in just normal conversation. What's yep. up, hairskin? Hey. And, just, and, and look okay. at the and look at the look on people's faces. They're trying to dissect. <laughs> what do you what what are you what is, is that? You, oh, what, what's what you, what's oh, happening right and, now? Yeah, and just watch them go through that cycle until they're like, yeah. So anyway, I'm going to need those TPS reports yeah. uh, by Friday. So, so that's how you're starting off your six-month review, okay? Yeah. Bold choice. <laughs> you walk into your review and you're like, hi, I'm here for my six-month review, and I am going to close this office door. Sup, hair skins. <laughs> Let's talk about how I'm exceeding expectations. 
Because <laughs> you know I'm doing it, ya boy. And that's why I need a new job. Yeah, All so right, anyway, what do you have for hired. your top one, sir? <laughs> <laughs> My top rubber and glue moment is on page 17, and it is Julie saying, Yuck, this stuff tastes like styrofoam mush. I bet it's as fake as the clouds and the trees. And this is after Kofi has dumped him at a mall food court going, great yep. food here. And everybody's like, just eating the blue sawdust. I just love the fact that she's just like, ugh, this, it, it's styrofoam mush. It's, ugh, it's, you can tell it's fake. It's not food. I just like, ugh, styrofoam mush. It's as fake as everything else around me. Yep, I can, I can go with it. I can go with it. I, 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 I can agree. Huh? No, I can't. Uh, hair skin's better. Uh, whatever. <laughs> I mean, tomato to Urongo. Yeah, something like that. You know what? What? I think right now, I think all the fans would agree that you are the worst on this podcast, and I am the best. That's not what we're talking about, though. Mm -hmm. That's not what we're talking about. What we're talking about stars in detention. We want to know who the best member of Power Pack was in this book. Who was the best? Who was the worst? And this is great, mm -hmm. because guess what? We got full Power Pack here. We are back to the six members of Power mm -hmm. Pack, not just the four, not just yep. the five with, with our good buddy Frank, but we got Kofi. Yeah. Kofi is a member of Power Pack. So we are including him. They even nail that down at the end and say that yes. he is. Yes. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. So we got six choices here. Who's the best? Who's the worst? What are you saying? I am saying, as always, we go for the worst. Mm -hmm. So the detention child, I'm going to say is Kofi. You and I are in agreement because, oh my God, he is the worst horsey ever. Uh, it's, it's, <laughs> it's like a lot of things in life right now. It's you know, And he kind of comes around to the end, but it is very much he needs to hold the sign that says, I'm sorry it took so long. I had a lot to learn. Here's the thing. We know he's got problems with his family and, and a lot of how chameleon structure works. Yes. He, he's made that perfectly clear in the past. He's got big problems with his father. He's run away from there lots of times. Yes. But he's from this place. He has spent time on Earth. He has spent time with the Power Kids. He understands how things work there. He understands how things work in Camellia. At no point in time during the drive to his house did he say, Hey, FYI, here's some things that you kids might want to know about how things work in my society. It's not what you're used to. Uh -huh. There's going to be a bit of a culture shock. We may have, you know, there may be some things that occur that are a little odd. You know, let's kind of work through them. Here's how we're going to deal with this. Okay, more than that is the, hey, heads up, we're probably going to be arrested. Well, <laughs> I can, good, good point, good point, because, you know, hey, FYI, I came down to get you guys, but I stole this ship, kind of like I stole the last two or three yep. ships to, to come and get you guys. So... FYI, again, I've yeah. done it again. I did done it people again. Might, people there's, might be a little angry about that. There's the aspect um, that it's like, hey, I went to your home first and I didn't see you guys there. Uh, what's up? You know, did you move? And it's like, you know, you've got trackers on the suits. You could have just gone straight to them. By by the way, did you realize, too, that um, there are some members of our society that really hate you? Yeah. They're going into battle world, you know, the arena. And it's yeah. just like, it's just, you know, and the kids are like, we don't want to do this in the first place. This place is packed. And it's just like, yeah, it's like 100,000 people. Well, that will give me pause. Most people's yeah. number one fear is public speaking. And I'm sure performing <laughs> in a, uh, you know, entertainment slash I'm justified to have these powers capacity. 100,000 people sounds kind of startling and scary. That's yeah. a lot to take in. Oh, yeah. And it's live streaming, too. Like, everybody, everybody's watching this. Not everybody likes you. 
I just Thank think he was Steve's. a bad, yeah. bad friend. Yeah, and it, he does come around at the end. He's like, I made bad choices. Can you forgive me? Like, yeah, come on. You're running away with us. Fine. It's very but, much along those lines of you are a creature of your habitat. You are mm. you know, a member of your society. And it's like, well, of course we just do it this way. This is the way that we do things. And sure. how it, you know, it is very hard as witnessed by, you know, just look out the window, current life kind of thing to mm-hmm. kind of to reassess your environment and who you are. Yeah. And, you know, he's going through that because you know, he is very much an outlier of his own race and his sure. society because, you know, that's why he's even saying he's like, you guys are my best friends. You're my only friends. He yeah. doesn't fit in there. But still, he has the lifelong background of how to live you know how how they live this is the way that we live this must be everybody and he's like yeah i kind of yeah well i vacate you know i spent a week in france so obviously i i know a, a huge amount of french culture now right i i came back i spoke with the accent for two months still you you've got a good understanding of what the earth people are like and what these earth kids are like in and- a minor sense only those kids and that yeah, is still- usually under uh immense duress where it's just like Hey, Jackal's coming to get you, and there's going to be a lot of shooting involved. Yeah, still, I just, I, I, we agree though, though he is the worst. That being said, who do we think is the best? This is a tough dream. one. It's a tough one. All the kids did a good job. I think yes. all the kids did a really good job, and it's, it's a little bit of splitting hairs here. But I, I chose Jack. Huh. I kind of gave it because of the, the battle, the mm-hmm, battle that they mm-hmm. had with Force Four. He's the one that had the bright idea about how to turn this all around. Yes, he did. And, and and he planned it out, and it worked like a charm. It was. He was even on point. He's like, Katie, stick to the plan. We discussed yep. this. Do the thing. And she's like, you got it. I know what's going on. I 100% agree with your choice on Jack. He mm-hmm. was my... I bounced around all the kids, but Jack was at the top of the list for a little while. I, yep. did, I had Alex for a bit. I had Jack for a bit. Franklin, surprisingly, wasn't on the list. Yeah, yeah was, I, I didn't think about him too much on yeah. him. He didn't do that much of note. Exactly. Normally, when Franklin is in an issue, it is like, well, <laughs> let's just bring out the prize to you, best kid sure. in the world ever. So Katie was fine. She basically was kind of like, I just want to go home. I don't like this. I want to go home. Uh, Franklin did whatever, but you know, Alex, Katie, Julie, all of those were mingled in. But I wound up going for Julie as my best kid. Okay, why? Although at the very first page of the issue, Katie saw the shooting star and was like, hey, look, a shooting star. It looks like it's going to hit the island. And the boys were like, let's just go home. Who cares? This is nothing. Yeah. Julie actually pushed for the aspect of going, this is an issue that needs to be addressed. We need to go check this out. Sure. So I think there were, there were three different things. One was that. You know, for going to check, you know, it's like backing Katie's play and saying, we need to go check this out. She also was the one to get them off planet with talking to the parents. And you're going, hey, you guys could be lovebirds. You could have a little empty nest thing going on. Gross, but okay. Gross, but okay. But no, so that got, uh, that she was the one that was really addressing it and getting them off planet. I also really like the aspect that, you know, Katie was running away from Firemane during the battle and, you know, Katie called to Julie for help, and Julie was like, "Yeah, I got gotcha. you. I can, I can, I can take care of the situation." And she snuffed out Firemane's uh, flames. I really like that. Okay, I all the like we said, all the kids did a good job. I, I just, I really like Jack stepping up in battle, especially since Alex was not with everybody else. So yeah. kind of felt to Jack to come up with a plan, and it I thought really it was did. a really good strategy. Alex had a great thing at the beginning where it's like, "We need to get our heads in the game. We need cover so that way we can plan something out." And unfortunately, that immediately got taken away by team leader, you know, vacuuming up Julie. All the kids were great. 
And uh, I don't think there's a wrong choice. You could literally, you could pretty much say anybody, you know, be like, yeah, of course that was a star kid. A lot of gold stars going out today for those kids. Yes, 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 yes. Mm-hmm. Except for Kofi. Kofi Except for bad. Kofi. Kofi was Kofi, Kofi was a bad little pony. Kofi was, he just didn't know any better. <laughs> he fell in with the wrong group of people, which was his own people. And then... <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about the top grades. We'd like mm-hmm. to evaluate each issue against the rest of the series. And let me tell you, we have 50 issues in, but it's much more than 50 issues because we have talked about a lot of stories. We got 58 different stories here. All the way at the bottom, we got X Factor Annual number two. Um, up from that on issue or on space number 50, we got Power Pack 46. That's a great Gugam ripoff. That's where more of the Three Stooges hijinks with Dakota North and Power and Punisher. In 40th place, we have Power Pack number 30, and that's Crack Up. That's back when Alex discovered that there was a crack problem, and he lost his good old buddy Rip Rival. He dies that issue. 30th place, Power Pack number 11, Problems. First time they ran into the Morlocks. 20th place, Lights, Camera, Action. That's where Boogeyman kidnaps Rebecca Littlehill. 10th place. Now we're in the top 10. Boogeyman must die. That's all the way in power pack number 43. Huh. That's um, where power pack rescue their parents amidst, amidst the Inferno of New York and they crack up, which we talked about this time. Mm-hmm. And of course, speaking of Inferno, still number one with a bullet. Power pack number 42. That is where Inferno starts and Boogeyman becomes a demon. Now we got ourselves another bog written episode, not a bog drawn episode. No. Or issue, but good nonetheless. How are we feeling about this one? Uh, where do we think this goes? I I like to start kind of high because yeah, I agree. There's a lot. There's a lot to this one. There's a lot that's discussed, and I think it's all pretty good. Yeah, it's a, it's a beefy book to get through. It but, is a um, beefy book to go through. Do you want to start at twenty or ten? Well, let's see here. Do we think that it breaks into the top ten? Do we think that it's better than you know, Boogeyman Must Die, Uncanny X Men number one ninety five? It was a dark and stormy night. Do we think that it goes above those ones? Hmm. Man, that's the problem. When you start at twenty, you go. I go definitely. Oh, it's definitely better than twenty. It's yeah. better than Boogeyman Kidnaps uh, Rebecca let, Littlehale. Let's, let's let's back down a little bit because so I saw oh, something well, let's that go I was, to, Let's go to fifteen. Thir- oh, I was going to go to thirteen. Thirteen. Okay. Because thirteen Ooh, is power pack issue. number one. Oh, I see what you're doing there. Yeah. There's calls back to that all throughout this. So why uh-huh. not do it here too? Yeah. Do we think that this is better than the first issue of Power Pack? Mm, man. Has Power Pack grown over the over the 50 issues? That's the real question here. Does this succeed beyond what the first issue brought us? Dude, I kind of want to say yes because mm. that is first issue plus. There's, you know, it's referencing first issue and adding uh-huh. to it. There's a lot it's it's bringing in a lot of the history and the lore and the things that have gone on. And is you know advancing more stuff. I can see that. I can definitely see that. But also, we have to kind of think of they, they kind of started from nothing and they brought us Power Pack Number One. Yeah. And they kind of came out of the gate pretty well with oh, a lot of stuff yeah, really for really well formed. And we just are seeing that they that the kids have advanced beyond that point to this. Now this does have a lot more story in it, and you know I I, I don't know if we can really fault Power Pack Number One for that. No. Well, it's, it's number one. You have to start yeah, somewhere. One. I think that this is the right place for it. I just don't know if it's actually above or below it. I think a little bit of nostalgia, I would actually say, I think that Power Pack 1 is above this. Okay. Right well, below this is uh, Snark Attack, and this is the long fight right after they met Franklin. This is the long fight they have with Jackal, which is kind of also referred here. I think that this is better than that one. I would I agree to that. This would, 
I think that this is a good one for number 14. I would be happy with this being new 14, yeah. Okay, I, I I'm kind of taking away your thunder. You saying that's a little that this one's better than it's, number one, but there it's very comparable. I mean, that is just mm-hmm. you know, you know, the fate of the fate of the world rested on <laughs> the edge of a hobbit or something like that. So yeah, it is. It, it it feels like it's right in that area. So again, the first issue is amazing. It is. It is really good. First issue good. is really good. And I, I think that this is a good comparable one that is right there next to it and as far as quality mm-hmm. goes, right with issue number one. It so can, I it can that sit is, with it just below it, and I'm quite happy yes, with that. I am quite happy with that too. So there we go. Uh, number 14 on our list right now below Power Pack number one is Power Pack number 50. That, of course, then means we need to talk about our beer. Because after we talk about the book, we talk about the beer. And yes, we do. what is our final thought on this beer? It's nice. I've been enjoying it. It's uh, Honestly, it still uh, feels kind of like a, uh, a little high-powered cider to me. I know what pale ales are. Dark pale ales, apparently I don't because my nose on this is an apple cider barrel. The flavor on this is very much just kind of like a strong cider. It's... I am going with you on this. I I am not getting a pale ale out of this at all. I am getting a cider. My biggest complaint with this is that I enjoy the first part of the sip. Yeah. The aftertaste is, it's chemical. There is some chemical that still is there for me, and I cannot get past that. I totally agree with that. Uh, The other kind of weird thing on that for me is that it seems like after I drink it, it kind of slowly starts to seize my throat a little bit, which is really weird. Where I'll kind of be talking, it's like, oh, I'm going to have a sip of this, and it's okay, and I'm drinking it. That actually is me. That is my way of reaching out to you and, like, doing the Oh, you've been force-choking me this entire time. I've been trying to figure that out. That's me trying to tell you, hey, stop drinking and read the script. Okay. You're like, stop going off script. You know, it's like sorry I'm sorry I just I do what I I do what I can do mm-hmm. so uh how many powerballs you want to throw at this beer I it's good it's not bad it's is it great no but I enjoy it enough that I would totally drink this more again uh, I'm gonna give it a three five I'm starting at a three here because I'm like this is really serviceable it's really good I, I like the cider part that medicinal thing I'm feeling at the back end that is dropping it to two point yeah. five for me. Oh, that's okay. That's weird. I, I think I'm probably liking the front end and not minding the back end as much. Where you're kind of like, I don't like the back end. The front end is nice. So yeah, the, 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 I like the front end. It's just that that back end hits, and I'm like, mm, do not like, do not like my no, friend. I, I get that. If I was to want a cider, I would not go for this. But I, I would totally drink this again. But there are plenty of better ciders that are out mm. there. And again, not a cider. Not a cider. But if I want a cider and this was available, I'd be like, yeah, that'd be pretty serviceable. But there are much better ciders out there. But hey, this is a dedicated oat and gluten-free. So, yeah. you know, there's that. Yeah. You want a gluten-free beer? Try out Negative Space Dark Pale Ale by Moonshimp Brewing. And now that we've talked about things that are special, let's talk to Carrie and get the kids' perspective. And this is where Rick talks to his nine-year-old daughter, Carrie, and she tells us about what she thought of the issue that we just read. So, Rick and Carrie, take it away. Hi, Carrie. How you doing today? Good. Excellent. So, we have a new comic book, and it is a long one, isn't it? Yeah. I kept looking um, ahead to see how many more pages there was. And there was a lot, wasn't there? Yeah. 
overall, what did you think? Did you like this book? Did you not like this book? What was your overall impressions? Um, I liked it. I know what Force 4 now is now. <laughs> All right, let's start with Force 4 then. What did you think of Force 4? Well, one, it's kind of a confusing uh, title. Why is that? Because Force and 4 kind of sound the same, and it's also alliteration. Well, okay, that doesn't make it that confusing, does it? No, but the fact that Force and 4 sound alike. That's just a little confusing. What did you think of the members of the team? They were interesting. What do you mean by interesting? I don't know. Did you like them? Kinda. Who did you like on the team? I kind of like Ghost Mare. Why did you like her? Because she, um, well, one, she's a girl. And it looks like she kind of likes animals, too. Yes, she likes animals, and she's a little bit nicer than the other ones, right? Yeah. What did you think of the chameleons overall? Some of them... Power Pack got mad at because they brainwashed their parents. Yeah, that was not okay, was it? No. What else did the chameleons do that upset Power Pack? They made them fight Force 4. Yeah, and they didn't really want to fight them, did they? No. What did you think of their chameleon homeworld? Did you like it? Did you not like it? Well, when you look on it, the outside, it looks like just like this ring of technology. But I guess inside it looks... Nice. Sort of, right? Yeah. What does it remind you of? Just this really busy place full of magic and stuff. Well, was there magic or technology? It's technology. Right. They actually are focusing more on technology than magic, right? Yeah. Did you have any opinion about how the different chameleons treated Power Pack? Some of them were nice to them. Some of them weren't, right? Yeah. What about the villain? What about Queen Murad? Are you kind of happy to see her back? Kind of. What do you think about her? She's buying these weapons. And what does she want to use the weapons for? To destroy Power Pack. To destroy her enemies. What does she ultimately want? Revenge. Yeah, she wants revenge. And she wants Power Pack's powers, doesn't she? Yeah. Though she did see what happened to her son, right? <laughs> right, but I think she wants to find... I mean, Power Pack still got the powers and it didn't hurt them, right? Well... They didn't have all of the powers mixed together. That's one thing, yeah. So is there anything else that, I mean, there's a lot in this book. Is there anything else that really stood out at you that you want to talk about? Not really. What was your favorite part? Oh, I like seeing Friday back. Yeah, Friday's back. That is kind of nice, isn't it? Friday's got a lot. Yeah. And Friday's got a lot more nice new powers, doesn't she? Yeah. What about the cover there? Does that cover remind you of anything? It reminds me when they were uh, doing the snark wars. Actually... That cover is very similar to the first issue of Power Pack. Yeah, because um, where Julie is, Jack is. Yeah, except they didn't have Franklin. Mine is Franklin. Yeah, yeah. There's a couple things have been added. A couple things have changed. But otherwise, it's pretty much the same thing, right? Yeah. Well, is there anything else you want to talk about or mention? Not really. Okay. I think that's about it for today. Thank you very much for your time, Carrie. Welcome. Love you. Love you, too. And Carrie and Rick, you did take it away and surmised it very nicely. Thank you so very much. Shout out time! We love to recognize those listeners that take the time to write in or leave us a review. This is for episode 64, Power Pack number 48, with our special, special guest and bestest friend, Tim Price. Baby Skeletor. Chad Michael Simon. Charles Gears. Chris Lydon. Coffee and Comics. Fan Film Fridays. Franklin Carapace. Gareth Hopkins. Green Lantern HG. Howell Jordan. The Hammer Strikes. 
Ian Jackson, who said, My nine-year-old and five-year-old just dug this two-issue run out of the basement a few weeks ago. We absolutely loved it. First time I've read it in 30 years. We live in New England, and I write host a kid's story podcast set in Maine with many Power Pack influences and homages. So this hit a real sweet spot. Thank you very much, Ian. Jeremy Daw, who said, Sweet, this is a great issue. Can't wait to listen to it. Well, I hope you enjoyed it. Kyle Sinelli. Limax 7. The Long Box Crusade Network with Pat Christatos Sampson. Matthew Cox. Matthew Fenner. Max Trevor. New Warriors Talk. Nicholas Prom. Power Pack Nation. Sean and the Secret Wars and Beyond podcast. Thor Edinson, who says, Whoa, GIF's impersonation of Tim Price sounds like Nick Nolte, which is weird. <laughs> <laughs> and speaking of Tim Price, we have Tim Price, the Podcrasher. Too Serious with Justin Gill. Waffles. We see Ben Day Dots. WMQ Comics Podcast with Matt Leserwitz, who says, Great new episode from Jeff Rick and Tim Price. We've got issues I haven't even been able to track down, so it's all new to me. And the worst comic podcast ever with Colin Stapleton. And also a shout out to Whoopi, who is going through our back catalog of shows and commenting on our website. Thank you so very much, my dear friend. Be sure to check out the other shows that we're on. Every now and again, you can find us on our junior agent submissions on the MI6 Rookie Agent, now Rogue Agent episodes of On Her Majesty's Secret Podcast, and also monthly Monday Movie Muckabout, which is my movie review show on the Longbox Crusade Network. And we have some merchandise available on Redbubble. Go to redbubble.com and search for Unpacking the Power of Power Pack. Jeff and Rick Present is a bi-weekly self-produced podcast recorded in front of a live studio audience of All My Toys in Portland, Oregon. If you would like to interact with us through the magic of the internet, you can do so through Twitter at Jeff and Rick Present, our Facebook page, Jeff and Rick Present, our email address, Jeff and Rick Present, all one word, at gmail.com, or on our website, Jeff and Rick Present.wordpress.com, also our YouTube channel, at Jeff and Rick Present. And if you would like to help support our show, we are on Patreon. You can find us at patreon.com, Jeff and Rick Present, all one word. We are a proud supporter of the Hero Initiative, and we will be donating 10% of our Patreon donations to this great cause. We encourage everyone to give what they can to this worthwhile organization that helps the creators who provide us with such great content. Go to heroinitiative.org to find out more. Please rate and review us wherever you can. Tell your friends about us, like Wobi, or share your love with us on social media. And as always, we want to thank the powerful people in our packs. My wife, Cindy, and our daughter, Carrie. My fiance Hillary, and our daughter, Aurora. We, we love, love you. you. Until next time. Costumes, costumes off. off! Our theme music is 80s action. Also featured in this episode is Spyglass. All music is by Kevin McLeod at Compitech.com and is licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 4.0 license. If you, want some, if you want something done right, shield. How's that for Nick Fury voice? That's terrible, but we can have it. Give me your best Nick Fury. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry. Actually, I've got it. I'll give no, no, you my worst no. Nick Here you Fury. Go. I've got the best Nick Fury. You ready for it? Mm-hmm. If you want something done right, shield. This sounds great. It's it's covering the eye that does it. That is what really makes all the difference in basically everything. It's the, uh, right. you know, it's like when I do Queen Maraud, mm-hmm. I uh, grow a lizard tail and uh, eat uh, rodents. All right, here we go. Ba-boom. Is if you, me, I, or other, uh-huh. make sound noise with mouth face. 
whole head. I saw, I, saw, I saw my name and I thought, oh, I'm supposed to be doing it. No, I'm not supposed to be doing it because, you know. <laughs> Ba-boom! As they approach, they feel nostalgia for Power Pack number one. Ah, uh, 50 long issues ago. As they approach, they feel nostalgia for Power Pack issue number one. Fifth. Ah. Ba-boom! 79 long episodes ago. Can you believe it? 79? 67. Ba-boom! I'm sure that they also asked Kofi if he would like coffee, but he coughed and passed, confiding that he doesn't care for caffeine. That's new. <coughs> I like it. <laughs> I don't take coffee, I drink tea, my dear. Ba-boom! This is the first time... Time... This is the first time, 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 time that the kids the have kids seen the place seen where the chimillions live. Remember, they, they blew up their planet the when they tried to do a big science thing. So now they live on giant space station. Space, space, space. That's where they've gone to. Yeah, all right. Ba-boom! Upon landing, the kids all start to get arrested for a misappropriation. Ba-boom! Maybe one of your best voices yet. I come up with these things from time to time. Sometimes it's this stuff. Maybe this guy, he sells, I don't know, meth on the side. I don't know what he does, but he could, you could just come in. You could give him the title to your car, and you could leave with a ray gun. What you do with the ray gun? I don't care. That's not my responsibility. You could plant plague seeds with it. Maybe you scratch your back. Maybe it's ornamental door knocker. It's not for me to say. It's for you. Crazy Eddie. I don't care what you do with it. I just want the quat loose. Ba-boom! Well, fun is in short supplies. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah, see, no fun. Fun is in short supply, as Aurora cries. She's been pretty triggery. <laughs> she does have to be your daughter, and that's just gonna suck. I know, it's it's a shame. It's, uh, I mean, it's a blessing for us and a hardship for her. It's, uh, I mean, she doesn't know any better, but she already knows that she's like, well, I lost this roulette game. Ba-boom! Back in the smart chip shop, Beryl admit... Beryl? Beryl? Ba-boom! Wow. Have you guys been, like, taking lessons from Reed Richards or Charles Xavier's manual of... Mm. Wow. <clears throat> Do better! Wow. Do better! Ba-boom! Have you guys been taking lessons from the Reed Richards and Charles Xavier Manual of Influencing and Controlling People? Wowzas! Okay, you didn't do better. No, I didn't. 